0: Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver Newspaper and BIV.com. And on today's show, we're going to speak to Loretta Davis. She is the Chief Information Officer and Vice President over at Speedy Transport. She is one of our award recipients for the first ever BIV Chief Technology Officer Awards. That's going on this week. We're going to speak to her all about her career path. It's going to be a fascinating discussion there. And then a little later on, Craig Patterson from RetailInsider.com. He joins us to delve into the latest news in retail. Always a great interview with Craig. But uh, before we get there, I want to tell you about two events coming up. First up, October 2nd at the Vancouver Club. That is our expert panel on navigating the United States for business. It's a bit of a different time now. and I think everybody might need a little bit of an assistance there. Then on October 9th at the Vancouver Club as well, Cannabis Year 1 another expert panel examining everything that's gone down in the past year and the opportunities that lay ahead. Go to biv.com slash events for more information on everything there. Now let's kick it off with Loretta Davis from Speedy Transport. This week, BIV presents its first ever Chief Technology Awards Ceremony, and among the winners is Loretta Davis. She is a vice president and the chief information officer at Speedy Transport, and interesting stuff that they've been going on over there, and Loretta's been a part of that. Loretta, I want to thank you for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, and, and congratulations on the award as well. And uh, first up, I, I think maybe people are going to be curious, You know, what is essentially the problem that you are aiming to solve at Speedy Transport using, say, technology?
1: So what we wanted to solve or what we wanted to achieve was to build a software that was um, user-friendly, streamlined design, and simplified processes um, to to reduce manual entry, to... um, give the users more time to build relationship with the customer instead of inputting data. Um, and we found that in our industry, we didn't, we didn't find that that had the whole package that had like an updated, like modern design um, as a simple to use feature that just required very little training and, and also little background in, in the industry as well to, to pick up how to use our software.
0: So with kind of this gap that was present there, I, I mean, what do you think is the future of this software? Do you think there's the potential for you guys to, say, license it to other companies that have recognized, you know, like you guys, that there is a gap there?
1: Yes, we do have plans very soon, actually, to license it. So we are um, just working on getting it ready to license now. Um, we've re- we've rebranded it um, as GoLily. Um, but yeah, we've already have quite a few companies interested, so we're setting up tests um, and trials just to get it ready to go, and then we will be marketing it kind of like to the wider wider industry in the future coming up.
0: So I'm wondering if uh, you, you help paint a picture for me here. You know, how has your company been able to change and develop with the implementation of this software? What What are some of the tangibles that you can point to and like, hey? You know what I was working on here obviously made a difference for my company
1: yep um, so um a couple of things so one is the like the date the users initially when they start in the operations team um, that's kind of the first point of our software or the kind of the entry is 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 the operations team the dispatch team and What they did is what what they can do is they can just kind of pick up um, pick up right away on the first day the steps involved to to do their day to day processes. Um, So it's very little training. Um, We've used other softwares that it took a long time to train, um, and it's not as intuitive. We find ours is very intuitive um, because we do hire uh, people that don't have industry experience, so we're focused more on. The business itself, rather than spending a lot of time to train just how to use our software, so that's one aspect so it since it reduces the training time, then you know then they're spending more time on the business and building relationship and um, yeah just growing in their role. So that's one. Um, the other one that we built in is um, each each of the users can um, can see their profitability. And see where, yeah, where they're making money, which which shipments. Um, the users, the day to day users, can see it. The dispatchers, as well as management, so we know where we can focus um, our growth. We can see it just real time results in the system. Um, also, our our system is connected to in the in the accounting module. It's connected to QuickBooks. Um, yeah, we have features that. We're reducing manual entry, manual data entry um, as well. We have a, a carrier portal for for our vendors. Um, and we also have a customer portal as well that we're building. And we started with one that's um, helping customer in their, in their shunting yard. So it's just things that um, reduce, reduce like emailing back and forth, reduce sending reports back and forth, um, but things that we can log on easily and see updated information.
0: So just making everything that much more productive and just more efficient. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of something that all companies want to strive for. But I'm curious about your own path and how you ended up here. Because I understand that it wasn't necessarily like a career surrounded by technology that you had in mind. Tell me a little bit about uh, your studies in school and how you eventually kind of uh, weaved your way into what you're doing now.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so I I went to UBC and I did I have a business degree. Um, I specialized in transportation and logistics. So um, that's similar, but um, yeah, after I graduated, I started working at Hapag Lloyd, which is a ocean shipping company. And I was there for about five and a half years. When I was there, they also had an in house system. They're a global company, so. Headquarters in Germany, offices all around the world. So they had a global system where it, you know the system communicated with each other, um, and it was it was very um, developed. And also, yeah, I learned a lot about how systems work, how the internal software works, um, a, about design and implementation, and um, getting like users feedback and training users as well. And I went on training. to to Houston for uh, one of the new features there. So I I kind of realized like how much I loved it. I became a super user there. So yeah, all through like when I was growing up, I did enjoy like like new features on the computer. Like I wasn't really techie or anything, but I really like you know using the computer to make stuff easier versus by hand. Um, But yeah, but once I I kinda of realized I had that like interest in development and design of a system, how to make it more efficient and productive for the people using it. Um when we were at Speedy we um when we started Speedy, we were like, Okay, we, we wanna build our own. We wanna build our own software that's you know, that we think is the best. And um that's that's kinda of where it started.
0: So, in that situation, though, I mean, were you guys building it all in house? Were you hiring contractors and then directing them to do exactly what you needed? What was that just from kind of a logistical standpoint?
1: Yeah, um, so it was in house. So, we started with one um, programmer. So, we found a programmer who was experienced in uh, web based design, what we were looking for. So, we just started with one. Um, That was four years ago. And then within a year, just under a year he had a working um like a live version um and once we got it live then we you know we could start using it um and start testing it and trialing it and then we built our programming team from there um built it up to four and they're they're still all like in-house and yeah we just built from there um we started with the operations and then we added accounting and added more modules that were needed to make it a a fully rounded system.
0: Well, for you, I mean, you've obviously had experience with companies that really do want to make sure that there's a strong confluence between, say, technology and transportation. But I'm wondering, is that something that you've seen and observed throughout the transportation industry as a whole? Do you think that there's some companies uh, or maybe even large swaths that still have some catching up to do? Maybe technology can bridge a lot of those gaps?
1: For sure. Yeah. Like there's a lot of processes in the industry that are still um manual or I guess not digitized. Like there's still we still um collect paperwork, like we call it paperwork, but we still collect things by paper. Um, proofs of delivery and proofs of the shipment is handed in by paper. Um the drivers have it they carry it back with them send us the paper, we scan it. So there's processes like that that don't have to be like that anymore because it kind of slows down the overall chain um, and increases errors um, and just basically reduces efficiency. So that's uh, one major thing. And then, yeah, just um, a lot of logistics and transportation companies that are smaller um, that maybe couldn't, um, you know, invest in, real like, really intensive software or anything that's meant for larger companies. Um this would work for them. Um but yeah, or just using their own processes um that are manual that aren't um that aren't yeah highly optimized. Um but for sure there's a lot of space for um yeah advances and improvements in technology and in transportation. It's a bit of an old school industry, I'd say.
0: So some catching up to do for uh, some of the people out there, but it is just kind of interesting that you guys, do you really feel that you do have this kind of competitive advantage now uh, just because of kind of the the focus on technology that you guys have been willing to implement?
1: Yeah, for sure. Because we don't really see anything like this um, in our area, in our industry. So it's it's something that, that, yeah, a lot of people are interested in.
0: Well, excellent. Uh, Loretta, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today.
1: Okay, Tyler, thank you so much.
0: That's uh, Loretta Davis. She is Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Speedy Transport. Stay with us. Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. He joins us right after this. And joining us today to talk about the latest news in retail is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. Craig, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. So you've been just absolutely awesome the past few years doing the radio show with us, doing the podcast with us, and it's time for uh, us to maybe uh, repay you to a certain degree. Tell us a little bit. You can uh, You can plug all you want, but tell us a little bit about this podcast that you guys have recently launched as well.
2: Oh, yes. The Retail Insider, we've launched a uh, podcast where we basically discuss what's happening across the country with retail news and put a little bit of you know insight into that as to uh, kind of what we're seeing and thinking and whatnot. And we'll have some guests on at some point. So it's a, it's a fun project that I think we'll continue doing uh, with uh, you know, a bit of a national focus, I guess you'd say, or wherever, you know, maybe I'm traveling to at some point today i'm in alberta checking out a few things
0: well i definitely think that there's uh, room for people to have multiple subscriptions to podcasts so uh happy to plug that uh well people continue to listen to biv as well but uh yeah let's kind of jump into what's been going on the past little while since you were on uh very different stories going on with some very iconic retail brands here in canada First up, let's talk about Lululemon. Their shares just blew up the other week after their financial results beat expectations. And I was looking into this. uh, It's been about one year since Calvin McDonald uh, stepped in as the CEO for that company. How has he kind of been putting his mark on everything? And do you think the latest financial results are a, a result of his influence or the company's just already been running on so much momentum for so long?
2: That's a good question. Um, I do think that he's had a uh, positive influence, I think, in directing the company
0: to, you know, continue to
2: move forward with, Uh, um, you know, what already was, I think, a tremendous brand awareness. So, you know, Lululemon, I think, has really captured, uh, you know, the imagination of of many consumers because I think it's it's not just a brand of clothing. It really is, uh, uh, you know, a lifestyle brand. I mean, um, people, you know, participate in various athletics that Lululemon may... uh, um, you know, promote, uh, you know, there's various events in the stores or associated with the stores and, uh, um, you know, that they'll actually say, you know, sponsor or host something. So in other words, they're kind of creating this, uh, um, you know, experience and lifestyle and uh, something that, you know, I think Calvin's been able to hone in on. I think he's a really uh, great leader in terms of, you know, his own, uh, I say personality, the way that, you know, he would conduct himself. He's very much, I think, a Lululemon type person and, uh You know, moving the company forward, uh, you know, they're they're launching beauty and, uh, you know, think footwear uh, uh, is another push as well as, you know, streetwear. I mean, the brand seems to be expanding its uh, uh, offerings, which uh, I think it's going to be quite successful overall.
0: Well, it's just funny you're talking about how it's kind of developed its brand that, you know, people instantly recognize. I I was watching this show on HBO a couple months back, uh, Barry, and it was actually like kind of a, a point to influence the characters that uh, two of them worked at a Lululemon shop, and it was just kind of funny. Like, oh, I get what this character is all about just because they're working at Lululemon. It's just kind of funny that even pop <laughs> culture influence that it's having now.
2: That's when you know a brand has an identity. <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, for you though, I mean, when you're looking at uh, what's on the plate for them, why you know should people be excited right now about this Vancouver-based company? What what do you think is uh, going to be you know really something to watch out for moving forward?
2: Well, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to watch because the company has been quite innovative and I think it's come up with a few surprises. So I think it's, you know, partly it's it's kind of a wait and see to see what, uh, you know, Lululemon tests out next. But uh, um, I think, you know, given that this is a Canadian company that seems to be having international success, I mean, I think that in itself is quite exciting because, uh, you know, the brand does have these worldwide ambitions now, uh, you know, to have stores all over the place and already they have, you know, Lululemon does have quite a good presence. So. Um, You know, this is, uh, you know, at a time when, you know, many retailers are struggling, Lululemon seems to be having tremendous success. And I think that that is very, very remarkable because, you know, we are seeing a polarization in brands where a lot of... uh, People are gravitating, you know, to certain brands. And that's why, you know, you say you go to shopping malls across the country, as I've been doing here, you notice a lot of the same stores. And uh, yeah. Blue Lemon is often in the top malls, for example.
0: So is it a lot of them like having that perfect balance of knowing what to do with foot traffic, uh, driving foot traffic in, as well as just being really great with, say, the e-commerce side of things?
2: I would think so. I mean, it's all everything together, right? Uh, you know, it's getting people in the stores. It's getting them, you know, interacting with the brand and buying, um, you know, the well, fashions or whatever is being sold, I guess I'd say, because you know the categories are beyond just you know say yoga wear. Um, you know, being able to think tie all that together in terms of you know whether or not it's being bought online, in store, both you know, you never know these days, and the channels are quite blurred. Um, you know, I, I think that you know, from what I can tell, you know, watching what Lululemon is doing, they seem to be doing this right. And you know, I'm sure there's always going to be hiccups uh, with companies as they test things out, but. In the long run, I mean, you know, Lululemon has been quite a successful retail over the last few, well, since it was founded, I would say. Uh, And certainly in the last few years, it continues to uh, flourish even, you know, despite a few little controversies here and there that, uh, you know, have been in the news.
0: Yeah, and you know what, I alluded to it before, but there's another very iconic brand that uh, is well known here in Canada, of course, Roots. And it just recorded a nearly $10 million loss in its latest quarterly financials. Now it's maybe looking to reignite its fortunes with, say, some branding opportunities with the Toronto Raptors and Sean Mendez, but I don't know. What, what do you think the outlook is right now for Roots?
2: I think Roots is gonna do well overall. Again, it's a brand that really has, you know, an identity that is quite associated with Canada, which is quite rare. Um, you know, to actually be able to you know, pulled that off and almost, you know, have a bit of a national identity. I mean, there are a few brands out there that have done that and, funny enough, Tim Hortons, even though it's not Canadian owned, who's also, you know, working with Shawn Mendes on a campaign. So, you know, there's some similarities there. You know, it's sort of got, you know, this Canadian iconic status, I guess you would say. And, you know, there are a few other brands and, you know, with Roots, it's got the same, but, you know, if you look at, say, Roots versus Lululemon, you know, as a comparison, uh, I, I think one of the big differences is that, you know, Roots is a fashion brand amongst many other fashion brands. So, you know, it does have sort of a niche look to it, and um, you know, it does have a, a, I guess you say, you know, consumer awareness and loyalty. But uh, I think it's got a bit more of a competition because, you know, in terms of say casual wear and outdoor wear, there are many, many competitors out there. And I think Lululemon has, I think, sort of captured the market uh, in a stronger way, just you know, given that it is a bit more of a niche and. Uh, has really sort of created a lifestyle that I'm not quite sure Roots is done yet, but I think Roots is on the way.
0: Well, what do you think, you know, of the idea of them doing like these partnerships with, say, very iconic, you know, Canadian names, whether it's the Toronto Raptors or Sean Mendez, is that just kind of digging into what their brand already is?
2: I think so. I mean, the Toronto Raptors, you know, I think would make sense in terms of the whole sporting side, you know, the... Team, you know, is is a winning team, which you know, it's always good to be associated. I think with the winning team, I think that's great. In terms of Sean Mendes, I mean, I think it's pretty good for brand awareness. I think it's important, you know, that you know, you know, Roots and Tim Hortons, you know, really plays off of that and build some authenticity. And I'm not sure. I mean, I guess the question is, you know, was Sean Mendez ever associated with, you know, Roots or Tim Hortons prior to the campaigns? I'm not. I'm not. You know, maybe the demographic that would be a big fan of his in terms of, you know, music, but uh, you know, it's often younger uh, females, I think, but nevertheless, you know, um, I have spoken to some consultants that have said that, you know, there may have been a bit of a mark mix missed, uh, with these promotions because, um, they do kind of seem, you know, sort of forced in terms of saying, well, here's a famous person and here's our brand and, you know, love all of us type of things. So, you know, if Shawn Mendes was known for wearing roots before or drinking Tim Horton's coffee, maybe that would be a little bit different. So I think it remains to be seen how much, uh, these campaigns resonate in terms of actually creating marketing dollars. But nevertheless, I think people are talking about these campaigns, which, you know, at least is serving a purpose in keeping, you know, all these brands relevant, or at least hopefully this.
0: Well, why don't we switch over to another brand? This one will be entering the Canadian market for the first time, but tell us a little bit about Hamleys. It's a well-known global toy brand, and uh, it looks as if we might be getting some stores that uh, will be popping up in Canada.
2: Yes, that's interesting because um, you know there has been some competition in the toy market. Um, FAO Schwartz, which is based out of New York City, um, you know, has kind of started this airport store expansion in Canada, and uh, has also been distributing in Hudson's Bay. And we've got Toys R Us, which uh, you know the American R went bankrupt, the Canadian division, uh, you know, was able to maintain itself uh, uh, and is now looking to innovate, you know, uh, with its stores and make them a bit more experiential. So having Hamleys come in, I think, is really Um, you know, it's going to create some competition, you know, especially for Toys R Us, I think. Uh, I think that's going to be the main competitor. Mastermind Toys, which has expanded across the country now, uh, I think a little bit more immune just because it's very much an education-based toy retailer. And it's, uh, um, I don't think, you know, Hamleys would, Offer quite the same, you know, selection, say of educational toys. I'm sure they will have some, but uh, I would think that Toys R Us would be a little more threatened, as well as I suppose any retailer that carries toys. I mean, you know, Hudson Bay. I was in a few stores just to kind of make sure they were still carrying FAO shorts, for example. And you know, many of those stores have smaller toy departments, and you know, you've got Walmart and Canadian Tire, and I mean, these little stores might be a little bit, say, cheaper than Hamleys, but nevertheless, they're all toys. So it kind of remains to be seen how Hamleys will expand here, and. Um, we're not sure yet, you know, where and how big and how many stores would be coming into Canada, but it's an Indian conglomerate that actually owns Hamleys. They, uh, I think, completed the deal in July and are, um, you know, now looking at doing a rollout. And the uh, owner of this conglomerate is uh, the richest man in India. He lives in, I think, a $2 billion house. I mean, the story about him is as fascinating as the retailer itself.
0: Oh, is it like a skyscraper or something that he lives in? Like it's a giant building?
2: That's the one, yeah. yeah. It's kind of funny looking, like, terraced. Six hundred foot tall house that uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's something like six six hundred staff in the house. I can't even imagine. I mean, wow. that's more more than some five star hotels. And <laughs> with you know, with limited number of rooms, it's it's really quite shocking. So, you know, uh, some people know how to live big, and, and he probably would be at the top of that uh, list if one was making one.
0: Yeah, that, that's a toy store if I saw one, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. With regards to the Hanley's brands, I mean, do you have any guesses? And I know it's just speculation, but maybe we can kind of uh, geek out a little bit about what would be like kind of good fit for them uh, with regards to the kinds of locations that they'd be scouting out? Would it be more the higher end sorts of malls? Would it it be strip malls? Like it is like a, a brand that's not super well known in Canada. What kind of mark do they want to make here?
2: Yeah, I would. That's a good question. Um, You know, they've got a big flagship on Regent Street in London. So I'm not sure if necessarily they would position themselves as, say, a luxury store, but I think that they would be looking for the best real estate. So you're probably not going to see them in a suburban strip mall in Abbotsford, you know, Mm. for example. But, you know, you might see them, say, with a really cool store at Oak Ridge Shopping Center or, uh, you know, on Robson Street uh, in downtown Vancouver, or if there's some, you know, very iconic corner. say, in downtown Vancouver, that might be appropriate for Hamleys. So I think that they're going to look to, you know, make a splash just looking at where other locations are around the world. Um, I would expect, you know, some of the best real estate would be, uh, you know, dedicated to Hamleys stores. So, you know, probably the A malls, if uh, they were to choose to go into shopping malls, which just makes sense in Canada. I mean, our malls are very successful, and especially in British Columbia, you know, some of the Top shopping centers in the country, uh, you know, with, sale per, with sales per square foot, I should say, are in the lower mainland. I'm actually just finishing a study for Retail Council of Canada that uh, ranks the malls again this year, so that'll be coming out soon. And you know, again, you know, Vancouver performs really well. CF Pacific Center, I think, is number two uh, with almost $1,900 a square foot in sales, so that's tremendous. And so, if Pacific Center, for example, had room for Hamleys, I mean, that would kind of make sense, but I think that is actually one of the biggest problems in Vancouver and with some of these malls is actually just finding enough space because. Uh, you know, Vancouver has less retail space per person and has these really, really strong shopping centers that other retailers seem to, you know, negotiate and find space and move into. So there's, you know, not as much room as perhaps in other markets like Toronto.
0: Yeah, well, I saw on your website, I think that report that you're just alluding to at the rankings, it's coming out uh, in the fall. We'll definitely be diving into that uh, once it's ready to go. But, uh, Craig, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, editor-in-chief at RetailInsider.com. You can go to their website and uh, find their new podcast, which has just launched. Now, that's it for the show today. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, so please tell a friend. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. We'll be back tomorrow.